Hey, everybody, Alan Arnett here with another episode on the podcast on alanarnett.com. It's February the 1st, 2022. Hey, sorry, I haven't uh, done a podcast recently, but, uh, you know, if I don't have anything to say, uh, I don't like to do a podcast just to fill the time. But right now I have something to say. I want to talk about the upcoming Everest season. People will start to arrive, um, you know, towards the beginning of April. They'll leave their homes in the middle of the last part of March of 2022. So about, it's really about six weeks away till people really start getting on airplanes. Even though right now, Sherpas are actually staking out their spots on the Nepal side and getting ready to build tent platforms and carve away the ice and get ready for the whole season. It's a tremendous amount of work that goes into it before uh, the the climbers and the clients actually show up by the hardworking Sherpas. So hats off to, to the team for what they're doing right now. And of course, the icefall doctors, they'll they'll show up probably, I don't know, around the first of March or so uh, to begin carving out the route going through the Kumu icefall. So in this episode, this podcast, I want to talk about uh, how much does it cost to climb Mount Everest and a little bit of a preview of the season coming up. And I'm going to use a uh, blog that I have been doing for, I don't know, the last eight or nine years called, called How Much Does It Cost to Climb Mount Everest? And this is the 2022 edition. It's been up since, uh, let's see, what did I do it? Uh, December 13th, 2021. I recently updated it with a few, uh, you know, a few uh, numbers that have been updated from the operators. So got a little bit better view of of what it's going to cost. And I'm just going to quickly go through this in this podcast. And those of you that are watching this on YouTube, you obviously see a split screen with me on one side and the blog on the other. Those of you listening to this in the car or on the road, um, you know, when you get back home, if you can take a look at it on the website, that might make a little bit more sense because I'm not going to go through and actually read this thing. I'm going to really give a high level overview of it. Okay, so here we go. So, you know, looking back at uh, last year, uh, you know, last spring was really interesting. COVID was just rampant you know, throughout India. It spread into Nepal. We had people at every space camp, you know, that trucked in and you know, all in all, it was just a, a really crazy, crazy year um, there. And what made it even crazier was the fact that the, um, you know, the Nepal government, uh, they they gave the impression of uh, ignoring the basic facts that there was a lot of um, of COVID at the at base camp. And by my estimation, there was about 150 clients that were evacuated with one form of or another of the uh, of the COVID symptoms and probably an equal number of Sherpas that were either evacuated or came down with it after the fact. And that's probably the sad part about the whole thing last year. So even though Nepal issued a fair number of um, of uh, permits last year, they issued a record of 408 permits to foreigners, but only 190 people of that 408 summited. That's 46% compared to 76% in 2019. So 30% less people summited last year in 2021 than did two years earlier in 2019. Of course, the mountain was closed on both sides in 2020. So, you know, and another fact is an astounding 282 Sherpas summited last spring. And this is a continuation of a trend that we've been seeing for several years now, that the ratio of Sherpa or support to a client continues to go up. It used to be under, used to be like, you know, maybe a one client, and then they were supported by 0.7 Sherpas. Today, it's approaching 1.2 Sherpas for every, um, every uh, client that pays. So as a result, 
a lot of what we're seeing on Everest in terms of the number of people is really being driven by the number of Sherpas that are being hired to support the client. Why? A lot of it has to do with the experience level of the clients. They just simply need that extra support. Another factor is that supplemental oxygen. A lot of people are now opting for extra oxygen. And so that requires two Sherpas on the summit push to carry your extra bottle. And so as a result, you've got two Sherpas for every client in some cases. So that's just a fact of life of how it is on Everest. Uh, I don't see it changing at all because, you know, the clientele and the level of experience is really uh, shifting as we, as we move on. So, you know, looking at uh, what's coming up here and for 2022, you know, your guess is as good as mine, but I'll take the, I'll take a good guess here. First off, I'm fully expecting China to close. For the third year in a row, they're not going to open the Tibet side to uh, foreigners fearing COVID. And especially with this Omicron uh, variant that's uh, really taken root and it's just now uh, hitting in, uh, in Nepal. They recently made a decision to close all public gatherings and to close schools through, well, it was through the end of January. I haven't seen if they open it back up today or not in February 1st. But nonetheless, there's a lot of, um, a lot of COVID going around Nepal. Vaccination rates throughout the country is hovering around 40%. There's been no boosters uh, issued throughout Nepal. So, you know, COVID is one, another story. It's going to be part two in 2022, just like it was in 2021. I don't expect the government response to be one lick of a difference uh, between the two. So it's going to be once again up to the individual uh, client to be wary and to be, you know, really responsible not to spread the disease or make the decision not to go at all. But that's a personal decision that each person is going to have to make. One thing it's perfectly clear, though, is that you're going to have to have a vaccine to get on an airplane, and you're going to have to have a vaccine to go through the airport in Kathmandu. Otherwise, you're going to be asked to quarantine. You know, I'm not sure that's really going to be enforced or not. We saw a mixed, uh, you know, mixed reviews of that throughout last year. But nonetheless, that's going to be the rule that if you're not vaccinated, you have to go into quarantine for a week or so. So, but I'm expecting, you know, last year um, there was, like I said, 408 uh, permits that were issued. I'm expecting that uh, to really increase uh, coming up, mainly coming from both the Chinese and the Indian clients. Uh, so, you know, we may see a record year uh, on the Nepal side anyway. The China side is probably going to be closed. So let's get into the meat of this podcast, which is uh, how much does it cost to climb this thing? Well, you know, if I look at my overall numbers, because I go through and do a very, um, very deep survey of how much each one of the operators are charging. I look at the Western companies, the Nepal companies. I've got this massive spreadsheet uh, I've been keeping for the last 10 years or so, where I'm able to calculate the percent increase year on year. So there's really three categories of climbs on Everest these days. One is that using the Nepali companies, um, and right now it looks like they're going to be charging on the Nepal side about $45,000, and that's up about 5% from uh, last year. And on the Tibet side, the Nepali companies are also charging $45,000, which is up about 7% from last year. So what's happened is that China recently, two years ago, increased their permit fees uh, pretty substantially. So now there's really no price difference in climbing from uh, Nepal or 
from China and uh, for, with the Nepali companies, both around $45,000. If you want to climb with a foreign guide service, by that I'm talking about, let's say, somebody from, uh, from Austria, the UK, the US, Australia, New Zealand, that it looks like in 2022, it'll cost about $48,000 to go with what's called a, a, a Sherpa guided uh, expedition. And I'll get into this a little bit in a minute or two. Or if you want to go with a Western guide. So in other words, this is a, uh, you know, a Kiwi or a, an Austrian or a, an American or a Brit leading your expedition, climbing with you, then that price really jumps up and it'll be $67,000. That's the median. But that price range is all over the map. Uh, it goes all the way from about 50 to 150, depending upon the service that you're getting. And we'll look at some of these high end uh, here in just a few minutes. And they're pretty interesting um, of what people are offering. And also, you know, it's amazing to me, there's a market for this. So looking at how much it costs, and where does the money go? First off, you've got travel. So obviously, it depends upon where you live. If you're in Delhi, it doesn't cost you very much. You get to Kathmandu. If you're in the middle of Wyoming, it's going to cost you a little bit more to get there. Or if you're, you know, in uh, Auckland, it'll cost you a little bit more to get there. Also, obviously, it depends upon the class. If you want to go, you know, in, uh, in tourist class or in first class and all of that. So overall, travel is really variable. It can be anywhere from $500 to $10,000, again, depending upon what you do. Just a little hint here is that, uh, you know, the more money you spend, the less money you have to pay for excess baggage. But think paying $300 for excess baggage versus another 7,000 for your, your business class ticket, that may be a poor investment. But nonetheless, that's what everybody has to make on their own. Uh, you know, once you get to Kathmandu, uh, you know, you're going to stay a couple of days in a hotel. Uh, that could be really cheap. You know, I said like 20 or $30 a night, even less, up to a couple of hundreds if you stay at the, you know, the Yak and Yeti or at the Hyatt. And then you got to fly into Lukla. Uh, you know, that's about 300 bucks a round trip to take that little puddle jumper uh, into Lukla. And then you've got to trek to, to Everest Base Camp. And you got to have, typically, you've got to have yaks and porters. Uh, and that's going to cost anywhere from $1,000 to $2,000 to, uh, you know, to hire the yaks and the porters, to stay in the tea houses, to, you know, get your food, all of that. And of course, if you're using Wi-Fi along the way, that's another fee. Uh, so, you know, again, it kind of it kind of depends upon what your, you know, what your client class your style of travel is. Here's something though that is not dependent upon class and style, and that's your permits, the climbing permits. As I said earlier that uh, China has really increased their price. Uh, so now um, it is uh, it costs you um, between $15,000 and $18,000 per person if, and you have to have a team of four or more. So they put these minimums on it. So what you, if you're going to go by yourself, you've got to find another outfitter that's willing to throw you onto their permit, which is typically not a problem at all. But you know, for that for that $15,000 for our team of four, that includes your uh, transportation from your arrival point in China. Typically, that's Lhasa or going over the Zagmu um, uh, border town. That includes all your hotels, your food, your transportation. You're going to be uh, driven by a member of the Chinese Mountaineering Association who's going to be your chauffeur for the whole time and keeping an eye on you also. Uh, it's going to include five yaks in and four yaks out, the liaison officer, your garbage fee, everything is kind of all inclusive in that. 
Whereas on the Nepal side, it's $11,000. So, you know, five, $6,000 less, but that's all that gets you is the right to climb on the mountain. It doesn't include any of your transportation, the liaison officer, the trash fee, nothing. So right out of the bat, you got to spend $11,000 in Nepal or close to $16,000 in, uh, in uh, Tibet in order to, to even get, even have the opportunity to get on the mountain. So that's the beginning of the fees. Uh, you know, most people will get some type of evacuation insurance. A lot of guides, commercial guides will require that you have it. And that can be, again, very variable from $70. Like if you have a policy with the American Alpine Club, I think probably the British Mountaineering Club is something similar, all the way up to $3,000 or $4,000 or $5,000 if you choose a cancel for any reason policy. You know, and those are pretty good because a couple of years ago when the earthquake hit, well, actually five, six years ago now, seven years ago, 2015, uh, I know a few people that got their full uh, $45,000, $50,000 um, uh, expedition fee refunded because they were able to claim they were not on the mountain when the earthquake hit. And so it got canceled outside of their control. And so they qualified for, you know, being able to get their money back, get a refund. These days in COVID, it may make a lot of sense to do that, but it's an awful lot of money. Sort of like in car insurance. If you never use it, you think it was a waste of money, but if you total your car, it was really, really smart at the time to get that insurance. So you really have to shop around and, and you know, see who gives you the best deals on those. In terms of gear, uh, you know, most people that are going to go to climb Everest probably have almost all the climbing gear. They might not have the 8,000 meter boots, which come in at around $1,200. You need two sleeping bags, uh, each one of those minus 20 Fahrenheit bags. Each one of those can cost anywhere from $500 to $1,000, again, depending upon who you buy it from. I personally like Western Mountaineering here in the U.S. They make really high quality bags, but they're really, really pricey. Um, also, uh, in terms of gear, you know, you've got to have, you know, carabiners and all your layers and all the, all that stuff, uh, the down suit. Your down suit is, is non-negotiable on Everest, whether it's a single suit or pants and a down jacket, that's going to run you right around $1,000 to $1,200. So, you know, if you had absolutely nothing, it could be as much as $15,000 to buy every single piece of gear. If you've, no, if you've never climbed before and you don't have anything, I hope if you're going to Everest that you've already got 90% of the gear, but maybe not that 8,000 meter gear. And hopefully, I hope you have that too, because you tried Manisley or Choil U. But I'm, I'm digressing here, right? So uh, you also, you know, if you want to bring a satellite phone, you know, you can rent them uh, or you can buy them. And then it's about a dollar a minute for a sat phone. I always traveled with a sat phone on all my clients because I really enjoyed being able to call back home and talk to my family, whether I was on the summit of K2 or, you know, I was in the middle of Antarctica and uh, cell phones simply don't work above base camp. Uh, both on the Nepal side and the Tibet side, there's 5G service now. On the Nepal side, there's Everest Link, uh, which is Wi-Fi, basically. Uh, it all costs a little bit of money, you know, maybe, um, you know, $60 for a gigabyte of bandwidth. Uh, but again, well worth it to stay in touch with your loved ones, or in my case, to write a blog from the mountain. So anyway, so it's lots of money that's spent on communication in that point. I always budget about a thousand bucks on an Everest climb just for my comms cost. Um, you know, if you have nothing, you're trying to go on your own, then that means that you've got to have your tents at base camp. You've got to have tents at the higher camps. Um, you know, 
uh, you've got to have food. Um, again, most expeditions provide the cooks, uh, the cook uh, assistance and all the food. They boil the water for you. But if you had to do it all yourself, then, you know, it's about 800 bucks for all your food for the two months that you're on the mountain. A cook will cost you $5,000 if you just wanted to go on your own. Uh, you know, and then there's oxygen. Again, 97% of the people on Everest on both sides use supplemental oxygen. Uh, a bottle of oxygen costs about $550. You typically use five, six, seven bottles, five. So that's another $3,000 roughly. The mask is another $450. There you have to have a regulator, which controls the flow between the bottle and your mask. That's another $450. Um, you know, and then, uh, so that's, that's already adding up to being close close to uh, $3,500, $4,000 just for your supplemental oxygen. Remember, this is a, that's not included in the permit price, uh, so this is starting to add up. If you do want to have a personal Sherpa, that's going to cost you somewhere around $5,000 plus their supplemental oxygen, which is another $2,000 because they won't use as much oxygen as, um, as everybody else does. So, here we are. If you look at all of this stuff, it's starting to add up. And so this is the reason that most people go with a commercial expedition. And so if you do that, the prices then uh, start to come into focus. And if you look on the blog post, I've got, uh, I call it the 2022 expedition price chart. I've got uh, a lot of the major companies. I didn't do the one man company, the one person companies, or those that uh, run sporadically, mainly those that run, you know, year in, year out, like a Fruit and Bike Adventures or an Alpenglow. Uh, or a um, uh, international mountain guides, um, an Asian trekking, uh, people like that. And so, you know, if you look at this uh, in terms of Western guides, I'm just scanning the chart right here. Uh, going with a, um, uh, a Western guide, it looks like the lowest is around $49,000. And the highest without going too crazy is around uh, $85,000. You might consider that to be crazy. And all the Nepali companies, uh, they don't obviously use Western guides because they're using Sherpa guided and they, uh, they come in around $45,000. Um, you know, so if you look at uh, the type of uh, expeditions, I'm, I'm going to break it out into three major buckets. First off is what I call the Sherpa supported. Now, this is not guided. All this means is you're going to have a Sherpa, which is going to help help carry your gear up to the higher camps. And they're going to establish the camp, you know, one, two, three in the South Coal Camp Four. And they will probably climb with you on the summit night. So this is Sherpa supported. And that comes in around $45,000 with a Nepali company, just a smidge more with the Western companies at around $49,000. You know, it's a good way to go if uh, if you're highly experienced, maybe you've tried Everest before or you've summited uh, Manaslu or Choi OU, you've got that experience, you know how your body performs at altitude and you're really looking just for some, you know, uh, some support to help carry loads and just a little bit of um, the support there at base camp. This is really a base camp only type of a type of a, a operation. And again, about $45,000 and it's a good value if you've got the experience to do it. A Seven Summits Trek, Asian Trekking, or a couple of companies that specialize in this type. Uh, and, you know, you can probably negotiate these days and maybe even get it down into the high 30s, uh, given that um, Nepal has been really hurting the last few years because of COVID. So that's Sherpa supported. Then you have Sherpa guided. And now this one is totally different. This is where you have a Sherpa 
that's probably been trained at the Kumbu Climbing Center, or they've got extensive experience on climbing Everest, probably 15 or 20 summits. They've been climbing for uh, maybe 10 years or more. Their English is, is pretty good. You won't have any problems there. Uh, and they clearly know about the mountain. They know the routes. They know how to climb the mountain. And they're going to be by your side the entire time. You know, IMG uh, Climbing the Seven Summits are a couple of companies that offer this type of version. Almost everybody offers this right now. Um, um, and IMG charges $49,500. Climbing the Seven Summits is around uh, $48,000. Um, and so this is not, though, you know, a personal Sherpa per se, but you'll have a Sherpa that'll be leading the climb, leading your group. If you want to have a personal Sherpa, someone who truly is by your side the whole time, and perhaps helping to offload some of your gear that you carry, that's an additional five to $10,000 plus tips and bonuses. So it can add up pretty quickly. But um, this is what I did with IMG back in 2011. Kami Sherpa, my guardian angel in the mountains, and um, I paid in the low four back in 2011. So you can see how the prices have gone up over the last 10 years, really around $10,000, roughly speaking. The third bucket, so we had Sherpa supported, Sherpa guided, and the third bucket is a Western guided. And so this is now where you have um, a Western um, guide, someone who has really been trained in New Zealand, Australia, Germany, Brit uh, England, UK, Canada, uh, Austria. And so they are typically trained, they're uh, typically certified IFMGA uh, certified guides, the true certification, which is complete with, you know, rock climbing, ice climbing, uh, skiing, uh, wilderness first aid. I mean, this is the full certification that most of these Western guides have, not a subset. And, um, you know, it's pricey. Uh, this gonna, you know, the average price goes for around sixty-five thousand up to over a hundred thousand dollars. And if you want to have a personal one-on-one Western guide, you know, Dave Hahn was famous for doing this with RMI. Um, then that's gonna be, it's gonna cost today around one hundred and twenty thousand, maybe even more, for you and a personal Western guide to climb the mountain. And then you have all the Sherpa support uh, all around that. So that's the most expensive. If you don't have a lot of experience climbing at 8,000 meters. Um, you've got the money. This is absolutely the, the safest way to climb the mountain, but it also is the most expensive at, you know, like I said, uh, you know, around 100,000 or more. Then you have the top top end. And, um, you know, Seven Summits Treks, uh, you know, they've really made a name for themselves primarily in the volume game. It's not unusual for them to have 100 clients and an equal number of Sherpas. So, you know, 200 plus people uh, on their at their base camp climbing the mountain. Uh, but they also have a, a very elite subset. And this year, they're calling it the V VIP Everest Expedition. And that includes uh, your own private camp at base camp. You fly in and out on a helicopter. Uh, you don't want to be bothered by having a trek in. Uh, you have unlimited oxygen, fundamentally 12 bottles. Uh, you've got a 24-hour personal mountain medical doctor with you. You have a rescue team at your availability should you need it. Given that you didn't trek in, you might need it. Uh, you, you can also take a, a climatization up Lobache Peak that's included in your low, low price. And then they'll even do a movie. They'll do a documentary movie of you in this VVIP um, expedition offered by Seven Summits Trek for the low, low price of $130,000. You know, not to be left out, though, other operators are jumping into this ultra high end. Uh, Lucas Frutenbach with um, 
uh, his uh, Frudenbach Adventures. He has something he calls a Signature Everest Expedition. Very similar list, you know, private support, um, you know, personalized training plans before you go on the mountain using altitude tents, uh, you know, pre-expedition uh, consultation with a doctor, a private IFMGA, AMGA mountain guide throughout the entire expedition, a Western mountain guide, a heated base camp tent with a private bathroom, uh, so it's really, yeah, it's really at the high end. And then also they do um, photos and videos of you as well. Mike Hamill over at Climbing the Seven Summits, they have something they call um, an upgrade with the Everest Executive Domes. Again, these are big dome tents where you sleep on cots with a down duvet, a queen-size bed. It's not a cot, it's a queen-size bed. You have a private table and chair with your workspace so you, um, that you can, you can uh, do Facebook from the privacy of your own dome tent, a personal humidifier is included in Mike's package, a shoe rack also, and on and on. So that's another uplift to his standard package. And um, I think he's actually been pretty successful with that. Another option that's really gaining uh, prestige these days are these so-called uh, rapid ascents or speed climbs or flash climbs. Almost everybody's offering it these days, but again, Frutenbach, uh, Frutenbach and uh, Alpenglow really uh, kind of pioneered this. And so what the idea is that you minimize the amount of time you spend on the mountain. So uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Alpenglow had an American client, Roxanne, that went from home to home in two weeks. And so she pre-acclimatized at home, at work, so she came to the mountain ready to go and she was up and down on the north side then home to home two weeks unbelievable but also Roxanne is not you know not typical she is a unbelievably strong person very skilled very talented and um, uh, Adrian and the crew did a great job of setting that up for her uh, you know I think uh, Lucas has done something similar running three-week trips and so this has really become typical two to three sometimes four weeks but typically three weeks is about what most people are calling these flash or speed expeditions and again the idea is that you minimize the amount of time you spend trekking in at the at base camp minimize the number of rotations. You're using a high flow of oxygen. You typically have a Western guide with you, um, actually a fairly high number of Sherpa support. Um, and so you're really not alone. You've got a tremendous amount of support in, in case something goes wrong. Um, but almost everybody that does these things are very successful. So this is a case of, if, you know, if you can't afford to be away from home, away from work for more than a month, uh, and you've got the money, uh, these expeditions are well over $100,000. Um, I think Alpenglow is actually 85, though, um, that uh, 90,000 for Lucas that, you know, and, and up from there, depending upon options. Um, it, you know, it's a way to go if you've got little time, but a lot of money. I'm not sure about the style aspect, but uh, that's not for me to decide. That's for each individual person to decide. So there you go. That's kind of how much it costs, you know, the big picture of the, you know, the gear, the permits, um, you know, what style that you're going to climb in, um, all of those, all those parts, they all add up to, to make up that, um, you know, 49 to $149,000. So also, let's take a look at a few just really quick questions. You know, one is the what you get often is that do you have to take the south or the north coal routes? You know, well, actually, there's 20 routes on Everest and 
anybody can climb any of them. You just get the permit on that side of the mountain and declare which route you're going to go and pay your money. And then you can go climb. Obviously, if you're on an un, if you're on a route that doesn't have the, the, the trade uh, support, like, you know, going up the South Coal, where fixed ropes and ladders, then you're going to be on your own to fix those routes. Sort of like what Yoast is doing right now, trying to go up the West Ridge um, all by himself, solo, no O's on the West Ridge up to the Hornbeam Kular, you know, oh my gosh, he is uh, right now he's being hit by bad, bad weather. So he's kind of stuck down low. We'll see what happens to him. Another common question is, you know, hey, can I climb uh, by myself? I don't want to have Sherpa support. I don't want to go with a Western guide. I don't want to use oxygen. Yeah, the answer is yes, you can do all of that. Uh, you still have to pay your permit fee. And by the time you pay for a permit fee at $11,000, liaison officer, which you're required to have, um, you have to go through an agency to be the middleman to get your permit. Um, you've got to somehow another get to Everest Base Camp. You're looking at twenty dollars or $25,000. So those days of old where somebody, I often get this after this, uh, you know, I post this blog, I get an email that says, Alan, you're crazy. I climbed Everest for $5,000. Well, you know, you probably did back in, you know, 1978 uh, when they're really, with the permit fees were much lower and all the rules weren't in place. Um, but today in 2022, uh, it's going to cost you a minimum of twenty dollars to $25,000 if you go by yourself. And that's really the tip of the iceberg. But, you know, do you have to hire a Sherpa? Technically, you do. That's in the rules for both the Tibet and the, um, the Nepal side, a Tibetan climber on the Tibet side and a Sherpa on the, on the Nepal side. But uh, like most rules on Everest, their guidelines not not heavily enforced. Do you have to use oxygen? Absolutely not. Only 3% of the people do that. Um, you know, do you have to use the ladders? Well, technically, I guess you don't. But uh, I don't know how you're going to get across a, uh, you know, a 30 meter wide crevasse that goes down uh, 50 meters. But, you know, if you're good enough to do that, you're probably good enough to be there on your own. Uh, so you can climb alone, but uh, virtually nobody does it. Now, you can climb unsupported. And simply what that means is that, you know, you're basically cooking your own food. You're carrying your own gear. You're setting up your own tents. Uh, most people who do that still, though, have a base camp cook, and they do use the fixed ropes and the ladders. So they're certainly not solo, and they're really technically not unsupported, you know, but they're as close as you can get to it in these days. If you really want to climb solo, no support, no, no nothing, then take one of the uh, less climbed routes. There's another 18 of them. You know, one of the other questions is, what's the difference between paying like 30000 versus 65000 Well, you know, some of it comes down to simply profit margins for the guides, but often it really comes down to, you know, the level of support that you're going to get. A uh, more expensive um, uh, operation is going to have more support, be they Western guides or Sherpa guides, like IMG uh, has Sherpas uh, stationed at the South Coal during the summit pushes. If there's a problem, they're able to dispatch them pretty quickly. Same goes for seven some as treks for some of their higher end options, um, you know, but you really can't count on it uh, all the time. So that's why being self-sufficient is really the key to it. Another difference in the, uh, you know, the difference between a low end and a high end is sometimes the quality of the food. Uh, sometimes the low ends, um, you know, tends to be a lot of Dalbot, nothing wrong with Dalbot, but, you know, I'm not sure I want to have it uh, every single night for two months. Um, you know, a little, little protein, a little uh, yak steak would be good from now, now and then. Uh, but, uh, you know, the overall, the food across the board is really improving, whether it's a Western or a Nepali company. There are some Western companies that are serving sushi. <laughs> Maybe that's in 
the uh, the VIP operation. I'm not sure, but um, you know, sushi and red wine at dinner. Uh, so personally, I think that crosses the line between going in mountaineering versus doing uh, glamping, as a good friend of mine calls it. You know, but extra Sherpas, backup supplies. If there's a big storm, you lose tents. If your operator doesn't have those backup supplies, you're pretty well hosed. A lot of people will have a doctor included with their operation. Alpenglow uh, does that uh, very well. You know, communications, uh, having a uh, um, some type of a modem, satellite modem that you can uh, have unlimited access to the internet, email, uh, being able to call home and not be dependent upon Everslink. That's another um, cost that goes into the uh, difference between a low end and a high end. And then also this overhead for the operator. You know, if you're going with a company and their owner is also the contact point and that person is up on the mountain and one of your loved ones wants to get a hold of you, you know, you don't have a lot of choices. Whereas if that company has a uh, home team, if you will, or an office team, there's always somebody there that you can contact. So these are some of the nuances, the difference between low end and high end. Um, so I just want to, you know, whatever you choose is up to you, but you just really want to be careful about it. So kind of wrapping up here with some of the numbers, uh, did a little mining on the Himalayan database. Back in December, they uh, provided an update that was uh, through December, 2021. So that included the last year's spring season. So at this point, there's been 10,666, I'm sorry, 10,656 people who summited, or there've been 10,656 summits. And that's by 6,098 different people. So a little over 10, almost 11,000 summits by roughly 6,000 people. There's been, of the 10,000 summits, that split almost evenly now, 5,300 members or clients and 5,300 uh, Sherpas or support. The Himalayan database calls them members and hired. Um, you know, let's see, uh, in terms of, there have been 756 women who have summited, so really a small number compared to the total, and even smaller number when you look at Sherpanis who have summited. Uh, but that number is increasing uh, really rapidly right now. More women are starting to go than, than men in terms of percentage growth year on year. The Nepal side continues to be more popular than the Tibet side with uh, 7,000 summits um, versus about 3,600, so roughly half and that's been going on for years. And a lot of that is because the infrastructure is just broader on the Nepal side versus the Tibet side. Uh, in terms of who uses supplemental oxygen, uh, it's really down now to 2%. Used to be around 3 3.5%. But of the, 10, uh, the oh, little over 10,000 people who have summited, only 216 have summited without using supplemental oxygen. You know, traversing, coming up from the north side and coming down the south or vice versa, that used to be allowed. China no longer issues those uh, traverse permits. Occasionally, somebody will sneak across and claim they had to do it for a medical reason, and they get away with it, but that's really, really rare. And also, occasionally, someone will try to climb without pay for a permit. Inevitably, they get caught, and then they put, you know, they put in jail for a couple of days and then deported and banned from the country. In terms of how safe is uh, Everest. You know, all in all, if you look at the 8,000 meter mountains, the 14 mountains above 26,000 feet or 8,000 meters, actually Everest is getting, is, is one of the safest, safest mountains out there. It's highest in terms of the absolute number of people with 305 people who have lost their lives, sadly. Um, and, but that's a death rate of 0.9. But that's really low compared to like Annapurna, which is one out of every four summits um, or a three three percent death rate. 
Choyal U continues to be the safest with 52 deaths out of 4,000 summits, and Manaslu is next at uh, 0.8. So Everest is really one of the safest 8,000 meter mountains. And that's really because, you know, I always call it a formula climb now. The commercial operators have got this thing dialed in and there's nothing left to risk anymore. So that's why if you're really looking for true adventure on Everest, take one of the less climbed routes. Um, in terms of, um, you know, north side versus south side, I always say pick your poison. The south side has the Kumbu Icefall. The north side is rockier, tends to be harsher in terms of wind, can be colder. Um, you know, I used to say that the north side was not as crowded, but in recent years, um, the queues at the second step have really been increasing. So you've got people now waiting. It's still not quite what we saw, for example, in 2019 on the, on the Nepal side, but that was really driven by a low number of available summit days. It was only three that year versus 11, which is normal uh, in a regular season. So you had like 600 people trying to get to the summit in three days versus 600 spread out over 11 days. And, you know, Everest is a big mountain. It can handle 600 people over 11 days. But if you try to squeeze 600 into three days, you're going to see those lines. So that's really it for now. I've got more in this blog post that uh, feel free to take a look at it. Um, it's, again, it's on, it's on the blog, alanarnett.com. Uh, wishing everybody a, a great 2022. Hopefully we're going to put this uh, virus behind us sometime this year and get back to some form of uh, normalcy. Uh, you know, there's climbs going on all over the world right now from Kilimanjaro down to Mount Vinson in uh, Antarctica. Uh, people are in Argentina right now. Uh, they're starting to begin to think about the Rainier season, Mont Blanc, uh, Denali. So um, as usual, the mountaineers uh, are a resilient group of people, and we love to climb and love to get out there. And uh, I'll be reporting on Everest this year like I always do. And so I invite you to uh, sign up to get email alerts uh, or just visit the website. Uh, you can use my social media as a way. I always just put pointers on, uh, on Facebook and, uh, and Twitter, but really uh, where all the content is, is on the blog itself at alanarnett.com. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. Appreciate this. Uh, I know a lot of numbers here. So if you are really interested in doing the deep dive, then take a look at it. All right. Climb on. This is Alan. And remember, memories are everything.